Last week, the title of my message was, Why Russia Matters. And today, the title of my message is, Why God Allows War. Why God Allows War. So for these two weeks, and, you know, I'm not sure how much you are into Bible prophecy or the details. Some of you love the details of Bible prophecy. Some of you kind of tune it out because it just, it, it, it's, it's so much to take in and try and figure out. And what I felt the need to do was just to give that big picture view of what is happening in the world and the scope of what the Bible says about generally these events. I'm not a sensationalist to say there, that event, that exactly right there is exactly the fulfillment of a Bible prophecy. It could be, but frankly, I'm not smart enough to figure that out yet. So um, we went to Israel years ago, and when we were there, we kept asking our guide, who was a, uh, a Jewish Christian, really smart guy, is this prophecy? Is this the fulfillment of prophecy? He had this like standard answer. He would say, it's hard to know till after it happens. <laughs> And so I kind of like that. <laughs> we are living at a time in which we could be seeing the very fulfilling of Bible prophecy. Are you with me there? Yeah. Absolutely. And Jesus says, the Bible says, we need to be looking up and able to discern the signs my family is kind of sick of me in those, you know, when the sun is going down in the evening and you look off at the sunset and it's a red sky at night, you know what that means? Sailor's delight. It's going to be sunny tomorrow. My kids got like sick of hearing me say that. You know, kids, you know what that means. We know, Dad. <laughs> red sky in morning, sailor take warning. That's exactly what Jesus said to the Jewish leaders. Look, you can discern the signs in the sky, and you can't figure out what's going on around you. Here's what I do love about Bible prophecy is that God has told us the things that are coming. We should be paying attention, and rather than being fearful, we should be exciting, excited to see what God is doing, even though it's going to be upsetting at times. And just, just as the predictions were fulfilled exactly of Jesus' first coming, they will also be fulfilled of his second coming. Did you know that the very day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was predicted in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9? That's the math part. I'm not going to get into the Daniel 70 weeks. But it was predicted to the day. When the command was given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, start counting on the calendar, 69 weeks, a Jewish week is seven, day, or seven years, times 360 days, it's 173,880 days. The command was given by Artaxerxes, March 14, 445 BC. You just count forward 173,800, what did I say, 880 days. You adjust for leap years, it is the exact day of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. 
And all of that is in the Bible. And Jesus said to the Jews, why didn't you know? Why didn't you know? Why didn't you do that? You skipped math class, didn't you? Why does God allow war? Throughout history, the accusations have been hurled at God that he is unfair, that God is unjust. Do you know where that started? started in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden when Satan said to Eve, God knows that in the day that you eat of this tree, your eyes are going to be opened and you're going to be like him. In other words, Eve, didn't you know that God is holding you back? He doesn't want your eyes to be opened. Eve, you can't do everything exactly as God said. You've got to step out on your own. Be a leader. Don't let this Adam guy hold you back. And what do we hear all through the, through the centuries? If there is a God, why does he allow these things to happen? Have you ever heard those things? We've all heard it. I love the high morality of atheists. Our church once did, um, I, I pastored Calvary Chapel, Portland for 23 years. And in the summer, we would go do church at the park out in front of God and everybody. And one Sunday, there was another group meeting off at another part of the park. And I went over and gave them an invitation to come to church. Well, it turned out they were a group of atheists having church. <laughs> they had a leader. There was about 10 of them. They got so mad at me. And the leader of the little group was irate because it was morally wrong for me to impose my beliefs on him. That's what he said. So I said, okay, great. See you later. Went back to my side of the park. We're getting ready for church. He brought his group all the way over to our side to tell me more why it was wrong for me to impose my beliefs on him. And you know what I said to him? You hypocrite. You are not practicing what you believe. Isn't it wrong for you to impose your beliefs on me? So why are you here? Get back to your side of the park. He didn't know what to say. This fake, empty morality needs to be understood and dealt with. Is God unfair? Is God unjust? If God is, if there is a God, why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he intervene? Well, the greatest, the greatest point of God's intervention is the cross. He did intervene. Why didn't you take him up on his offer? He didn't do what you said. He didn't intervene the way that you want him to, but he has intervened and you missed the whole thing. Yeah. Man. There has only been 14 days of peace since the end of World War II. Did you know that? And even now, there are over 40 conflicts around the world. 
So the Bible says in the end times, Matthew 24, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, it feels like, well, there's always been wars, right? Only, uh, only 14 days of peace. Okay, so we go, well, what, what do we make of that wars and rumors of wars? And as I shared last week, we're talking about wars and rumors of wars against Israel. That's the biblical perspective. And Israel is there to be a witness to us. I'm getting ahead of myself. But Peter said two important things about the end times in 2 Peter chapter 3. One, there will be scoffers in the last days. When somebody scoffs at you about Bible prophecy and just say, look, you just fulfilled it. You are fulfilling Bible prophecy right now. And the second very important thing, 2 Peter 3, God is not willing that any should perish. There will be scoffers, and God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if that is what we know to be God's heart, how is he going to do it? How is he going to work that out in the last days? The book of Revelation talks about globalism, a one-world system of religion, government, economy. And we don't have to be Bible scholars to know that that's happening right now. The world chess pieces are moving into place to form globalism. And I asked the guys to put up a couple of pictures. I shared this last week. Do you have that? First of all, the, the, the poster. Do you have that? I can't see. Is it up? Oh, there it is. This is a painting. Uh, I can't remember. It's back in the 1700s, 1800s. Uh, uh, an artist in Europe, this was his rendering, the, his idea of the Tower of Babel. Why is he thinking about the Tower of Babel and wants to paint it? Now, what does it have to do with globalism? Put up the picture. Looks similar? This is the EU building in Europe, the European Union. Did you know that the European Union modeled their building after the painting of the Tower of Babel? You see how it it almost looks like it's It's partially built. Do you know why it's like that? Because it is being rebuilt. In the image, uh, the picture, the vision of the European Union, they are rebuilding it. And their very slogan is something like many languages, one tongue. It's kind of creepy that the EU takes biblical symbols for their model of globalism. We're living in that time. We don't, we don't have to read into it to see this. It's happening. It's happening. In the last days, God will do three significant things to really ramp this up and get our attention. One is that Israel will reform as a nation. That's Ezekiel 38. If you read, no Ezekiel, all prophecy students are looking at Ezekiel 36 through 39 
right now you can read that in your daily devotions. Ezekiel 38 is the reforming of Israel as a nation. Did that happen? Happened in 1948, and don't take that for granted because in the history of the world, that has never happened before. And it has never happened since that a nation has dissolved, been dispersed among other nations, come back together almost 2,000 years later. They were dispersed in 70 AD when the Romans just overran Jerusalem and destroyed the temple with an accidental fire. And then almost 2,000 years later, come back, still not just Jews, but still retaining their culture, their language, their religion. That has never happened. There are many peoples that have disappeared, never to be heard of again. Never. You know any uh, Philistines or Canaanites these days? No. Also, there will form an alliance of nations that will want to wipe out Israel. Just look at the news. Just look at the news. And then that alliance of nations, when they really make their move to wipe out Israel, God will wipe them out. At a time when the nation of Israel is really still not even recognizing their God and Jesus as their Messiah, the Lord will show himself strong at a time in which he is their only help. He is their only help. Ezekiel 38, verses 1 through 5, I'm going to read actually a lot of scriptures for you today. So if you want to take notes and maybe uh, read these later on, Ezekiel 38, 1 to 5, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tagarma, from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. I'm sorry, I mentioned Ezekiel 38, Israel reforming. It's before Ezekiel 38 in those chapters leading up to it. But the lead, the lead antagonist of Israel is Magog. The ruler of Magog is Gog. He is the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. As I mentioned last week, it's pretty well uh, understood, although there are those who object that Rosh is Russia. Meshach is Moscow, Tubal is Tubal. And so it's, it is generally accepted. It's not a reach to see these things. And then the primary partner with Rosh or Russia is Persia, which is Iran. All of this is happening today includes these nations. 
includes these nations. Last week, I mentioned just maybe just as you're listening to the news, listen for things, anything about Russia, Israel, Iran. Did you do your homework? A lot happened this week. Russia used Syrian soldiers in Ukraine. Now, Syria and Iran work closely together. Iran launched military satellite. Uh, Israel bombed a drone factory in Iran. Jews are being evacuated from, from Ukraine and other parts into, back to Israel. Uh, of course, American companies are pulling out of Russia, which is causing the economy to collapse in Russia, which may have something to do with provoking uh, Rosh, Russia to have to go to Israel or the Middle East for other resources. The price of wheat in Ukraine has jumped 68%. Putin is getting mad and madder. There are increased rumors of nuclear war. Last night, Iraq bombed an American consulate in north, northern Iraq. Did you hear that? It just happened last night. I had to add this to my notes. The Middle East, which seems so far away from Eastern Europe and Russia and Ukraine, they are all connected. And it's all shifting into the very events of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Zechariah 14, 12, you should write that down if you're interested in these things. Zechariah 14, 12, and this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the peoples who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. What does that sound like? Nuclear war. Did you know this was in the Bible? It's, it's possible that's not what it is, but can anything else explain just that type of reaction to a bomb? So what is accomplished by war in the last days, and why does God allow war? I'm going to give you six things that are accomplished by war and serving God's purposes. Uh why does God allow war? Number one, because the nations chose to reject God. God has essentially said, I'm giving you what you want. If you're going to fight and destroy each other, remember I said last week, the world rejected God. God didn't reject the world. Genesis 6, 5, way back there, you can see the increase of evil. The Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Sin is always progressive. It started in the garden, culminated here. God responds with the flood. After the flood, as the three sons of Noah start to multiply and the nations really come, from the three sons of Noah, did you know that of all the peoples of the world, there are three people groups out of the three sons of Noah? 
that led to the Tower of Babel, which led to God confusing the languages and scattering the peoples. The second thing, the second reason God allows war is that God allows evil to increase to expose it. All of this, as I've said, fake morality around the world, this this lying, this moral pretense, we're justified in doing this. God knows what's going on. People are fooled, but God is not fooled. So people say, why doesn't God judge? Well, here's the thing. When God judge, will he be accused of being unfair in his judgment? And God knows that people, will, people don't see what's going on behind the scenes. So God just allows it to increase and eventually expose it for what it is. Eventually. Revelation 14, 15. Another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the throne. Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, this is a time of judgment in the end times. But that picture of the the earth and the peoples of the world being like a vineyard that is ripening. And that connects, Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruits. The evil is allowed to ripen and become fully exposed for what it is. Even policemen have to wait for a criminal to expose himself, to play it out, even even though they know there's suspicious activity. God allows evil to increase, and these wars are exposing, exposing Putin for who he is. All this pretense of being a fair player, that's all exposed now. The third reason God allows war is that God actually in war might use one nation to punish another nation. Now, there is no way we would know if that's what's happening, but we can look at the Bible and see cases where God definitely did do that. One case would be when when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt God wasn't just arbitrarily taking the land of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and all those people that lived in Canaan and just gave it to the Israelites. God actually said that he had been trying to work with those people to turn them around from their cruelty and said it to Moses, I'm done working with those people. And if you look at the history of those people when God said to the Israelites, wipe them completely out, completely out, those people had become so corrupt, they were beyond the possibility of redemption. And again, evil increases. What were they doing? Things like child sacrifice. Brutal, brutal things that we don't even see today. And civilizations go, can go beyond the point of redemption. 
Just like we see people in society that they have become so corrupt, they can't be turned around. So God used the Israelites to punish the Canaanites, but then God even used the Babylonians to punish Israel. Did you know that? And took them into captivity. Jeremiah talked about it, said God is going to bring the, uh, the Babylonians and they were taken to captivity for 70 years. A fourth reason that God allows war is to show ultimately that he is just in his judgment. When God does judge, it will be seen to the world that he is just in his judgment. And again, God's first priority is to save people, is to save the peoples out of the world. Revelation 19, 1 and 2. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to, to the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot, who has corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. When God judges, he has allowed it to be fully revealed. The corruption, the wars, the deceptions, all of these things. We stop saying, well, everybody has their own way. And we should just leave everybody alone to do their own thing. And after all, there's no one better religion above another religion. Of course, all nations can do what they want. And it's that way because God set it up that way, free will. But sin always progresses. And this, this is going somewhere. Even the beginnings of the, the Russia attacking your, Ukraine, it's, they're not going to be done. It's going somewhere else. And we're just watching where it's going to go. But ultimately, when God judges, he will be seen as just. And these, these accusations that God is unjust that have literally been going on for thousands and thousands of years will be put to rest. That is a huge part of what God is allowing. The nations to be exposed, to be seen for who they are, and even the very people in Russia who believed their leaders are now seeing what's happening. We were told one thing, and now we see that we were lied to. Do you know that God is allowing that for their own salvation of those people in Russia to see that they need to look for answers somewhere else? A fifth reason God allows war is, as I've said, ultimately to bring the nations to salvation because God is not willing that any should perish. God is not saving Israel or just saving America 
or just saving Western civilization. I can't tell you how many times I've been told, well, the Bible, the gospel, that's a Western religion. Not so. For God so loved the, what? The world. And while we in the West often are sold this idea, you know, that's fine for you to believe it, but don't impose your beliefs on other countries. I've been all over the world. Probably one of the the shining examples of, of a nation that believed in other gods and has suffered for it is India. The thousands or maybe more of gods that they have and I've been to India and spoken in churches, and I'm thinking, now, what am I going to say to them from my culture speaking to their culture? You know, I just, the Lord used that trip to teach me so much. But, you know, I, I, I realized that, do you know that no matter what country any of your ancestors came from, they worshiped idols? Now, in India, they literally have idols. Throughout the year, there are these different festivals, and I was there during the festival of Ganesh. And the funny thing is you can drive down the street, and there are Ganesh lots where you can buy a little statue of Ganesh. It looked just like a Christmas tree lot. It just kind of freaked me out. I have a picture of it. A nice fenced-off area where you can buy a little Ganesh or all the way, like, human-size, this statue, and they buy it and bring it into their house and worship Ganesh for that. I think it was a seven-day festival. Well, I hate to break it to you, but if your ancestors, you know, came here from Ireland or Scotland or England or Germany, at one point, they worshipped idols too. Did you know that? Shocking. And as the gospel has gone out into the world, it has transformed those nations, those peoples, into what we think of as more Christianized. The joke was, if you went into a, a very poor village in India and said, do you know Jesus? They would say, no, but if you go to the next village, maybe he lives there. They would know nothing. But of the thousands and thousands and thousands of years of India, you know, in that example, serving idols, about 20 years ago, the leaders of the poorest caste system in India, the Dalits, finally woke up and they said, if our God truly is a God, why are we so poor and suffering? Why haven't our gods helped us? And there were, there was then a wave of the last number I heard was over 20 million of this one caste system, the Dalits in India converted to Christianity. Because they just practically said, if, if another religion can actually truly help us, we will worship that God. And there was a, a pastor who 
asked for the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. And Jesus changed their lives. And it swept through that group, the Dalits, where well over 20 million of them have come to the Lord. They are more like us than we realize. The gospel is not Western. It's the world. For God so loved the world. And we're not imposing the gospel on them. We're bringing them the same gospel that our nations have believed. God allows war to wake people up. Because in Matthew 25, I think it is, you know, Jesus says that when he comes, it will be like the days of Noah. Maybe you've heard that phrase in the Bible. What were the days of Noah like? Essentially, people were going about their daily business as if nothing was happening, as if nothing strange was happening, as if nothing, there was no destruction about to happen. They were going about eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. That's the essential point that Jesus is making. You know, we often think, well, when it comes, when the end is about to happen, we'll see it. Maybe not. Maybe not. And it sometimes, just like in your personal life, you get so caught up in your own little hobbies and games that God will allow, allow a little suffering to wake you up. Have you had that happen before? You get sick, you get COVID, uh, a death in the family, some kind, of, some kind of upset, and suddenly you start praying like never before. It's the same thing with the nations of the world. When everything is great, nobody needs God. But all the time, the pot is boiling. Sin is increasing. Leaders are deceiving. And they are working plans that the rest of us are not even aware of. We're so focused on evil Russia, but what about our own country? They're not godly. I am thankful that there are godly men and women in Washington, but there are others who are not and working plans. And shall I say, it doesn't matter their party affiliation. There's not one righteous party and one evil party. There's deception going on. The last thing I have for you, why God allows war, ultimately to remind believers that we don't belong here. This is not your home. So while you're thinking about the next toy you're going to buy, which is probably pretty cool, remember, this is temporary. Matthew 24, here is that passage I just mentioned. Jesus says, who is that faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. 
So the Lord has given each of us something to do as his servants. Matt, you can go ahead and come up. We are the servants. We've been given something to do in this life to be responsible for. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his good. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming. Oh, the Lord's not coming. Begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at an hour that he will not be aware of and will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I am fully aware that over the years, preachers and those in my occupation have sensationalized events and said, this is it, the Lord's coming, and it didn't happen. And so we, we become a little dull. But I think we can see that the events are shifting. And say, what if the Lord delays another 50 years? Well, the Lord is coming one of two ways. Either in our lifetime and raptures us, or when you die and go and see him face to face. Either way, the Lord's coming for you. Okay? So don't stop acting like you got all this time. And that rapture stuff is crazy. Maybe it is, but your time will come and you will see the Lord face to face. And the Lord allows suffering to put things back in perspective. What's happening in the Middle, in, in the Middle East and in Eastern Europe really does fit Ezekiel 38 and 39. But whether this is the end, we don't know. But it's certainly shifting. And if this gets our attention and then the Lord delays, why would the Lord delay? To give time for more people to call out to him. After all, we, we need time to develop the chip that goes in the back of the hand. And you're laughing because you can see it happening. This is not sensationalism. It's just happening. What, it, what will be the hooks in the jaw of Magog that will cause them to go against Israel in the Middle East? We don't know. But mark this, the things that would prevent this from happening, which is both leadership in America and leadership in Israel, are now out of the way. We don't have leadership in Washington that puts the fear of God in Putin's mind and in Iraq, nor is there leadership in Israel. And both of those two key places of leadership have changed enough to allow things to start to move. That's what's happening. 
God is fair, God is just, but God is not willing that any should perish. And the question is, what are you going to do with your time until his return?